Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Cavs the podcast. I'm Nate Smith, your host, sort of here with uh, Chris Francis <laughs> and Eli Kim, my co my co-hosts, my uh, my brothers in Cavs here. Um, it's been an interesting week to say the least in Cavsdom. Um, we had one of the more surprising and convincing wins of the season with a. Uh, 28 point win over the Philadelphia 76ers on Wednesday. And then, of course, the Cavs lost in uh, Toronto and then won a game that probably shouldn't have been as difficult as it was against uh, Detroit. But Detroit looks like they're on a little bit of a come up. They won in overtime against, uh, against the Mavs tonight. So, and and they look like a team that definitely was improving. I mean, the Killian Hayes I saw against the Cavs was light years better than I'd seen Killian Hayes in previous games. So I was super happy to, you know, for him, I guess. I don't know if I'm super happy. But, um, but yeah, let's talk about that Sixers game because I believe you were in the building, Eli Kim. How, what what yes, was I that was. like? Um, it was pretty good. I was decently surprised by the crowd. It was for a Wednesday night, um, in freezing, frigid Cleveland. Um, it was cold, but it was definitely a lot of fun. Good to see everyone like live, except, um, you know, obviously Jared Allen didn't play. Kevin Love didn't play. Um, but it was good to see those guys like warm up. Um, Rubio had a good, warm-up session um, from what we could see before the game. Got a lot of three-pointers up. Did not see Allen or Love do any on-court work, but uh, all three of those guys were wearing the most comfortable sweatsuits I've ever seen in my life, so I'd love to get a matching sweatsuit to one of those guys if you had a chance to look at the junkyard dog picture. Oh, yeah. We, we're going to – that might be, have to be our title pick. <laughs> yeah, that was uh... – that was a very fun game. I mean, it, it's interesting that Kevin Love, no warm-up work at all. You know, I think I've complained a little bit. Like, why in God's name did they try and play him with a broken thumb? You know, just, just – or, like, why did they send Jared Allen back in the game twice and then he missed the, what, the next two games? Like, when he fell and hurt himself? Like, it just seems like they shoot themselves in the foot with lack of caution when it comes to injuries. I don't know. What's your, what's your take on that, Chris? Um, I don't know. I mean, guys get hurt. It's the NBA. I don't, uh, I don't make much of what's going on with that. Like, uh, you know, for me, it's, uh, what drives me nuts is 
JB running eight man rotations. <laughs> of course. On the second <laughs> night of a back to back. On the Toronto. second night of a back to back. You know, so it, that's, you know, I don't know. You know, I guess, you know, the justification is that it's injury related. So, you know, so in that regard, but I mean, you know, if you just the the schedule is grueling, you know, the NBA season's not for the, you know, weak of heart or faint of heart. So, you know. Uh, yeah. And, and next year we have a uh, in-season tournament to look forward to. So that will be that, interesting. That's happening next year. That's happening next season. Yep. What? Yeah, every team is. Does guaranteed. anybody even know what's happening in it? Yeah. So every team's guaranteed um, eighty games, and then a lot of the games are like playing games, and then like the top eight make a. I don't know if it's the top eight or maybe like the top sixteen or something like that, but basically it gets to a knockout round. Um. I, I think one of those 80 games is the knockout round. I think everybody has a chance to advance. And then there's a knockout round, and it's a single elimination tournament after that. So, you know, the NBA is running an NIT starting in. Uh, in like yeah, December. I couldn't even follow that. That was so damn complicated that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm even... not doing it justice <laughs> for sure, but it is definitely complicated. Yeah. Uh, Eli, but, uh, you got any more details there? Like, I don't quite understand it myself yet honestly i don't know the details but i think the most frustrating part is the season is not longer at all um to accommodate it so if you're a team that you know wins the tournament you could theoretically i think people are complaining you could play more games than normal regular season and it's like more games in a lesser time frame yeah uh, it's like just have 82 games yeah they're starting out like october 20 something instead of mid-october and then they're ending on like april i can't remember it was like the 10th or the 17th but yeah it's it's shorter than the season is now which makes no sense so i i don't quite understand that but <laughs> And oh, Eli, Eli had to bail. He's taking his dog out. So, <laughs> welcome to Eli walks the dog, the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, let, I'm sorry. Like I do all this thing where I'm like, I'm gonna gush about this warrior or this picture. Yeah, win. you've done no gushing, and at I've all. done you've zero gushing. Zero. It's been all bitching. negative gushing. I'm a negative Nancy. So let's get back to the good vibes, calves. That was a, a butt kick and win over the 76ers. And I will say that was the the Sixers were mailing that one in. But the Cavs refused to play down to their level, which is the good thing that you see about that. I mean, the Sixers were dogging it that whole game. Uh, but it was great to see Mamade Diakite. My goodness. Like, that's, you, you're, <laughs> it's like a backhand, that's like the biggest backhanded compliment I've ever heard. Like, uh, I know, I'm the worst. What, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? I know. Here? Come I just, on. You know, you know my I mean? kids, I do the same thing to my kids. It's like you can't, you can't give them to, to you know, there's such thing as overpraising them. <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> but Mamade Diakite, surprise start uh, at the, you know, whether you consider him or Mobley the center. I thought Diakite played fantastically. 
He was amazing. Uh, he was yeah. freaking like that's that's the, what my takeaway is from the game is how amazing after I went back and looked at the the recap that I wrote in the preseason about Mamadi Diakite. And first of all, my first comment about him was why the hell did they let him go? He played awesome in the preseason. Yeah. They w- remember they waived him. So and, but I and, guess that was maneuvering. Rolled for, the dice that he would get to their practice or to right, the two way. Two way. Yeah, exactly. So, and then what has he done since then? He's continued to ball out. And yeah. somehow he's only a recipient of a scant, you know, seven minutes a game. Well, uh, and then the yeah. crazy thing, he plays 22 and a half minutes and he, he starts and he only plays 22 minutes. Uh, yet he looked great. I mean, every second. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's insane. I mean, like, yeah, he missed shots or whatever. He, you know, and there was inexperience. He showed experience at times, but overall, his energy, his length, his athleticism, his smarts. Yeah, like he's a perfect fit. You know what I mean? It's him, Mobley, and Wade had Joel Embiid in hell all night long. Like they, for sure, completely obliterated his offensive game on the defensive side of the ball. Now, like, now I will say there is a reason that happened, and it's because P.J. Tucker is freaking awful. Uh, his And they were playing five on four defensively. Absolutely, and, yeah. And, and, well, and Tobias and Harris, Harris yes. was 0-7 that game. Yes, he's not an outside sh- – he's not a spot-up outside shooter. Well, he know? is, but he wasn't doing it that night. Well, yeah, I guess he he's probably better than it than yeah. he gets credit for. But, no, I mean, they were absolutely yeah. – like, that That was the whole deal was that – that uh, credit to the coaching staff as well. The game plan was obviously – use Wade and Diakite like basically they were parked in the paint all night and they were yeah. showing three bodies at uh, and beat at all times so and they were just saying if you make three-point shots fine you know they were just conceding them outright and yeah they couldn't make them pay and it was a brilliant strategy um and what was nice about it was Diakite executed and Dean Wade executed the strategy to perfection so yeah. it ended up with a what, well, not perfection. There was a couple cracks, but yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was a thirty-point win. So no, no, but what I'm, whatever. So the one thing Diakite has, and maybe Wade, but I thought I saw it more with Diakite. He's just got to have that one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand step out of the paint in in his head, you know, so he doesn't get that that uh, defensive three well, no, seconds. No, no. Did you hear? Did you hear Coach? Uh, BJ, uh, JB Bickerstaff said or implied, uh, in the post game that there was an incentive to draw a three second call. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was going to chime in on that. So every time, I don't know if the broadcast caught this, but they got called for three defensive three seconds. And every time the whole bench, all the coaches like stood up and clapped and cheered it. And it was kind of weird. But then on the way home, I listened to the uh, like the post game conference, and basically all the players said that they were coached that it would be okay to take a three second um, violation as long as they fronted and beat, and he did not take a shot. So every time that there was a three second violation and he didn't end up with a field goal, they were okay with that and they would live with that. So that's why um, they were like basically cheering every time, they, all three times they got it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's what I love about, you know, Diakite and Wade and just 
a million times better than what we saw from Rolo is like those guys can be super help defenders and that against a guy like, uh, you know, against a team like the Sixers where they were struggling to shoot from outside, that's invaluable. Like that's so hard to beat the Cavs when they have their lengthy defenders in at the four and five. You know, and that's really what their whole defense is built around. Yeah, I mean, Embiid's a quick dude for as big as he is. And presenting the size and speed and bodies was just, it was a great plan and it worked to perfection. Like he, I mean, he took a technical, you know, that's how frustrated uh, Embiid was at the defense. He, uh, you know, he he was just swearing at the refs and stuff (laughs) halfway through the game. Yeah, and the, the other funny thing that I loved about that game is the refs were not falling for Embiid's bull bullcrap like he was falling down half the oh, time yeah. like he always does and they just weren't buying it <laughs> it was super nice to see yeah but to be to be fair if i was if i had to be objective i think there were definitely some non-calls that probably should have been called on Embiid. so i could definitely see why he was super frustrated um but you know the calves are usually on the wrong side of officiating. So we def the, we have to just take it and thank, thank the basketball gods for letting that happen for us in our favor. Yeah. I mean, I, I have no, like the Cavs have paid their karmic debt when it comes to bad officiating. So I have no qualms about that. And I like that you said that because I didn't really get that view from the, um, from the TV broadcast, but I, you definitely get a different view and you see things differently uh, when you're in person. So it's cool to cool to get your perspective there. And with that, uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Council Podcast. Nate Smith, Chris Francis, Elijah Kim. Eli, in person, What? who was the most impressive cab in person? Yeah, I'll be honest. I think it has to be, even though the box score wasn't the greatest, um, for me, I thought it was Garland. Um I think Mitchell had the better box score just because he was he was super hot from three. He was five for seven from deep at one point and four in a row. So his overall numbers look really great at the end of the game. But watching some of the passes live um, from Darius Garland just looked simply amazing. And I would say the the one play where um, Garland and Mitchell played a little, you know, pass to each other and got Garland open for the three with Diakide setting the screen. That was just beautiful basketball watching that live and unfold. So I think you're right, Nate, that when you do watch the game live, it looks different and provides a unique perspective. So for me, watching live, I thought Garland had the best game from looking at it. Um, you know, from the stands versus the broadcast. Well, I think that that bears it out in the the box score. I mean, he had 21, nine assists, only two turnovers, nine to 16. I mean, he did all that and he didn't even get to the line, which is impressive to me. Um, And he had like, there was another play where he did the give and go with Mitchell and it was just absolutely beautiful. Um, They had, they had some great set plays that game that I really enjoyed. Um, and then the other one that totally impressed me 
uh, trick or treat Karis LeVert, who just looked absolutely dead and buried in uh, in the Toronto game, obviously coming back from an injury, and then he dropped twenty two points, eight of eleven, uh, you know, a twenty two six and four night. Just it's he's the most baffling, like hot or cold player I've seen in a long time. Like. The guy's got a 40 point game and he's, I think he's got zero point games for this team. It's just so bizarre. Like, what is that? You're, you're on the Karis Levert agenda. What is that, Chris? What's going oh, on? I mean, it, I mean, JB said it in the post game. It was give him some touches. You know, it was not, it was basically on, you know, uh, and they talk about it. Uh, DG and Spida basically, you know, made a concerted effort to get him touches, you know, make sure that they, that he was bringing up the ball, initiating offense, creating his own offense, running plays for himself. Um, and it got him going, you know, I mean, it's uh, in, and he just rode that wave. His defense has been honestly amazing. Like if you look at uh, his defensive EPM and his offense, you know, is just good enough, you know, and it's, I think the thing about Karras is uh, what keeps him alive is his defense and passing. That's what's going to keep him on the productive and an impact player on the court, positive impact player on the court. The scoring is just kind of like icing on the cake, honestly, with him. But as long as he's playing defense and making plays, making passes for guys, um, uh, he's normally a productive player. So, uh, you know, I think last night was probably like, that's the whole thing is like, we got a good Karis last night. Good Karis um, turns the Cavs into basically a, a world beater. Like we we can compete with anybody, you know. But uh, it's getting him to be more consistent, you know. And and it looks like it's just a matter of touches, you know. Just get him the ball and let him do his thing, pretty much, and it works. Oh, I'm I'm with you, and I think he's so much better coming off the bench because it's just easier to get his touches. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it, he's got the ball in his hands more. Um, you know, Garland when when they have that starting unit out there, you know, Garland has to feed Mitchell, he has to feed Allen, he has to feed Mobley. Like Levert's almost the fourth option there. And oh yeah, he's he's the fifth option. If you he was he was the fifth option. Yeah, uh, you know when he was with the starters, which is an awful, like it's not, he's not going to thrive. It's that he is a rhythm player. Yes. And he has to get a rhythm. I mean, you could see it over the course of the Toronto game. And I mean, the Toronto game, it didn't look like he touched a basketball for three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next night, like even the first couple possessions, the timing was just off. And it's just, it was so cool how you could see him pick it up as the game went on. And then just all of a sudden he's in the rhythm. He's finding guys, he's getting to the basket. Um, Spectacular finishes. Yeah. yeah. You just put it all together and it's, you know, I think coming off the step back threes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then, you know, he's got it all working, you know, his game is, you know, essentially uh, he's a great pick and roll passer. He can do the step back three. He can rebound. He can defend on the perimeter. So you know what I'm loving is it just I'm what I'm loving is the lineups that they're running out with the backups. Where you got a Coro uh, when Stevens was there, uh, you know, Karis, Chetty. Like you got three, four guys out there 
that all are versatile enough. You're, you can switch all of them. They all can handle the ball. They can all shoot it. They can all pass it. They can all do something. You know, they can do many things on a basketball court. But it's just beautiful watching them be able to switch everything on defense and just create fast break opportunities for Chetty, basically. You know, and Karras. well, and, so, and oh man, Okoro last night too. Yeah, oh, Okoro yeah, was right. shot out of a cannon in transition. I mean, Okoro, oh, yeah. twenty points or uh, plus twenty eleven points. Five boards. Uh, his rebounding he, is ticking yes. up so much. Yeah. Well, I, and mean, I think that's due to the, I think that's due to him playing the four spot in those smaller yeah. lineups. And yeah, I think and it's really helping. I think it's helping a ton, and I think he, like, I think he can play up. And we didn't see that in his first few years, but we're seeing it now. And yep. he, it, it's it's really cool to see. And he's he is definitely stronger than he was his first two years in the league. And it's really nice to see him boarding, like, especially after just that being a non-existent part of his game. So Eli, <laughs> what did, what did Okora look like in person? Like, was there any surprise with anything you didn't expect? Um, I didn't expect him to take three, three pointers in the game, but he did. Um, <laughs> but he made one. Um, that was, I think, and I think that's what really got him going. He made his first three in the corner. And that I think kind of made him play kind of with house money for the rest of the game offensively. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you can you get that one. I think he got going in transition. You saw Levert with that dunk got him going. You know, when he had that yep. dunk in transition, it's like you yep. know sometimes you just need to see the ball go in the basket. Um, you know, I know you, Eli, have been a little critical uh, this season of one Evan Mobley, but I thought he was fantastic against. Uh, Actually, I thought he's been on a pretty nice three-game stretch. Like, I thought he was one of the better players in Toronto, and I thought uh, he played well against Detroit. Like, what did you think of Evan Mobley uh, against the Sixers? Oh, I think Evan played. It's kind of unfortunate that he didn't play. He only played like 24 minutes, but he was, it seemed, he seemed, he looked very dominant in those in those 24 minutes. I mean, I don't think he scored a point in the second half actually either. Maybe he did, but, or at least didn't feel like he didn't do much in the second half. Um, but just, I will admit, I think seeing that Euro step live, just seeing it on the broadcast after the game, didn't do it justice. Just how big he is, how fast he is. Um, you know, seeing that buildup where he, Donovan Mitchell basically waves him off to not pass him the ball and transition there. I thought that was just a huge play because the Cavs did start slow. I think they were down like 12-5 yeah. maybe. 9-2. Um, so. they, they said 9-2 and then went on a 14-point run. Yeah, so it was just that definitely that Euro step just really started it, I felt like. The momentum really shifted. And um, I, I'll have, I have to give it to you. I think Evan Mobley, the last three games, has definitely, since Jared Allen's been out, I think he's been – the most impactful Cavalier, not necessarily in terms of scoring, but just kind of everything else. And I think the Cavs actually, ironically, have a better net rating in these three games that Jared Allen has been out, or the defensive rating, sorry, that since Jared Allen has been out, which is obviously not an indicative trend or anything like that, but it's just good to see that the guys are stepping up and playing much better on the defensive end with some more purpose um, with J.A. being out. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, the other thing about uh, Mobley, he's been a board machine. I mean, he's had at least eight boards in the last five games. Um, his rebounding is ticked way up, which was, you know, and you can see him hungry and going after the ball. And especially on the O boards, I mean, he's he didn't have any against Philly, but honestly, it's hard to get O, o boards when you have a quarter when you go 15 to 16 from the field. <laughs> You know, there's not a lot of offensive rebounds to be had in a game like that. But um, didn't they shoot like 60 percent for the game or something crazy? Like, it was, yeah, it was yeah exactly. There just wasn't a lot of offensive boards to be had. And he was just yeah. I mean, everybody he's just been a rebound machine, which I love to see. It's because been, that was, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Like, if, yeah, he becomes, sure. if he like that was a weakness in his game that he's shoring up and. If he shares that up, I mean, the impact on defense goes to another level. So For sure. Yeah. And the one thing, I mean, he still has to fix his jumper a little because it is super flat. Um, and he hasn't kind of figured out the balance between his arm extension and his wrist flexion. Um, and I, I, I can't remember, was it Nomad who said on the comment board, is like he's just got too much wrist in his shot. Um and and he, you can see him kind of struggle with that. And when he figures that out and kind of gets the perfect form for him, that's when he's going to really unlock as a player. Because he's got the footwork, he's got the fundamentals, he's got that hook shot down, and he's automatic on the lobs. Like, when he gets that going, he's going to be so tough to, to guard. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little – I was in person, it was encouraging to see him take what he thought was a three. It ended up being a two. His toe was on the line, but he didn't hesitate at all. It looked pretty smooth, and he's one of those guys where, you know, I think he he's just so gifted with a long wingspan and long arms. It's just hard to shoot. I mean, like, I think guys who are that big like to just let the shot be all wrist, but then Mobley still kind of does this thing where he uses a little bit more arm action, and he still tries to keep the wrist active, and it's just super flat. Like you said, um, and I mean, he also did miss two free throws in a row, which I'm pretty nitpicky on free throws as a guy who's only plus trait on the basketball court is making still shots. Um, but the Korean chaining um, fry is that what you're <laughs> telling us? I guess, but um, I just think that it's you know he could um, we can nitpick all we want, but his impact was definitely felt in this game, and it was good to see him be super efficient. Um, only what, what should we call it? He only had, uh, like 10 shots. I think I'm not looking at the box. Yeah. From the field. Yeah. And he only played like 24 minutes, I believe. So just get to see him not play that much and get some rest too, especially when he's playing the five a lot more. Yeah, for sure. I, I, he was, he was super fun to watch and I really enjoyed him. You know, really, the last five games, I think Milwaukee was a super tough test for him. But the last five games, I think he's played really well. And the Cavs are beating the teams they should beat. You know, and and that, you know, they weren't doing that last year. Like, last year's Cavs team loses that Detroit game. Don't you think, Chris? Oh, yeah. I mean, they did, didn't they? Like, <laughs> yeah, they, they literally did. did. <laughs> and it was huge. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. No, yeah, I mean... Yeah, well, and it's funny you say that because, like, when we were talking about it in our last podcast or whatever about, you know, nitpicking what was the worst loss of the season, it's funny because those things matter 
depending on your expectations. So, I mean, that's the whole thing is like the Cavs are exceeding expectations. So now they've been raised, you know, so now it's just like, wow, they're in the echelon of teams with like Boston and Milwaukee up at the top of the conference. Like every game matters for the top of the conference because then you're battling for home court advantage through the semifinals of the playoffs, which is, I mean, that's insane to think about. We're talking about a team hasn't been to the playoffs without LeBron yet. Right. I mean, you know, since LeBron left. So yeah, it's just crazy, you know, so in, but uh, yeah, they would, you know, that's the difference this year is now they're a top three seed last year. What did they do? You know, they let these kind of games go, you know, like uh, catching, catching Philly at home and injured on a good time, you know, like that was a, that was a big time, you know, sneaky big time win, uh, winning on the road in Detroit. That's huge. You know, uh, Dallas wasn't able to do it, you know, like you said at the opening, you know, of this. So, uh, yeah, it's, and, it's and exciting I think times. So what you talked about in your, in your recap, talking about, you know, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell's ability to generate offense when, you know, grind out offense, get to the line, uh, manufacture points when points are a little bit hard to come by. Like that is so such a big part of that. And, you know, Donovan Mitchell is a professional scorer. Like I mm. sometimes I think he makes it look so easy that you don't realize how good he is. You know what I mean? Like yep. five of seven from three, like his three ball. I think he has the second best three ball in the NBA right now. Like at, I and I don't want to jinx anything, but after Steph, who I think, you know, is, is a little bit unassailable, like Donovan Mitchell just feels like you leave him wide open. It's automatic. You know, and he's still people go under the screen. He's got about six inches of space to shoot and he's still, you know, five or seven on the night. And what is he like? Eighty five percent from the free throw line. Like he's just he's as good of a shooter as he is a finisher. And he's an incredible finisher. You know that I'm just blown away by how good he is from game to game. I mean, he is forty nine percent from the field. 42% 42% from three, 89% from the line. Like he's just a machine scoring wise. Like those are, those are KD numbers, you know, you know, that's they're, they're getting towards what's the 50, 40, 90 club. Like he's right knocking on the door. He's no Colin Sexton. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And with that, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Cast Podcast. Nate Smith, Eli Kim, Chris Francis. I should put their names first because they're much more talented than I am. Um, <laughs> Eli, I know you are excited about December. Uh, how many games are you going to catch in December? Ironically, I'm not going to be going to a lot. I got some vacation coming up, but um, I am going courtside for one game in December. So Eli on the are you going the gold jacket? On... Yeah, I plan on wearing the gold jacket again. Sweet. Oh, are you gonna sorry. be on the uh the the team side, the scorers table side, or are you gonna be on the other side? Yeah or on, so the, on actually, the end. I purposely picked um behind the Cavs bench. So oh, I am, I am excited 
Yeah. Unfortunately, I think breaking news. Unfortunately, I think I might be a little bit like towards more towards like the player entrance. Um, that end of the bench, but nonetheless, I'm literally the first row behind the Cavs bench. That's oh, we're a hundred percent going to be able to see you. I'm posting so many screen caps of Eli. There we go. (laughs) I'm excited. I I do plan on wearing that, uh, infamous gold jacket that I got. Oh man. Wow. What what are you on? It's one and oh with the gold jacket, right? That is true. We beat, uh, the Cavs beat the Nuggets last year, which was a huge game at the time. Yeah. Well, and, and Cavs versus Nuggets is always a huge one. Because uh, if they if uh, somebody could die if the if Denver scores too many nuggets, you just choke on uh, choke on chicken nuggets. So yeah, yeah, those guys <laughs> do that challenge every year. So yeah, um, what uh, what game are you going to be at? So it's a good one. I will be at the Mavs game. Ooh, Luca, Luca, yeah. Ooh, that's that's spicy. I'm excited. We gotta we gotta make that gold jacket two and zero. You know what we gotta do? We gotta make it so the gold jacket gets a JYD award. That's what we gotta do. Oh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm excited about that. So what what else are you looking forward to about that uh, December schedule there, Eli? I'm excited that the Cavs have 14 games against winnable opponents. Um, they have, um, I mean, it's a lot of games. Don't get me wrong. They got 14 games between now and the end of the year. Um, but a lot of them are at home. They have 10 at home. And the toughest teams they play are like the Mavs. Um, and then I'll just, I'll just read off the schedule here. I have it up. So they play the Magic tomorrow. Then they go to New York against the Knicks. Then they play the Lakers at home, which is a big game, obviously, with LeBron coming back. Then they could get Revenge on the Kings, also at home. The Thunder at home. Then they go to play San Antonio. They go to play the Mavericks. And then they get the Pacers, Mavs, Jazz, Bucks, Raptors, Nets, all home in a row. And then they go to Indiana to end off the year. So That's, that's awesome. There's a lot of winnable games. I mean, the toughest home game, just home game on paper, might be against the. I mean, definitely against the Bucks and the Raptors at the end of the the um, home stand. Oh, for and sure. Then, but I feel like the Raptors are so much easier in Cleveland. Like that's true. I, the Cavs never play well in Toronto if LeBron, mm-hmm. you know, uh, since LeBron anyway. Yeah, and then I think you know they got. The, going on the road is just always tough in the NBA, but thankfully, you know, it's against the Spurs, it's against the Knicks, um, and the Pacers, who, but all the, you know, although the Pacers are on a tear right now, so the, it's the not Pacers like, are a witch. It's going to be man. a tough one. Yeah, yeah. That's a tough one. And also, uh, talk about another place the Cavs never, I don't care how bad the Pacers are, the Cavs rarely play well in Indy for yeah. whatever reason. I don't know what it is. Yeah. So, I mean, Central Realistically, I think the Cavs, I looked this up and I heard this on another podcast. I forget if it was either the chase down or locked on, but I think the Cavs are favorited in 10 of the 14 games um, upcoming. So 
I think if they, someone said a stat on the pod, and I'm forget, I'm sorry if I'm not giving the appropriate credit, but it was one of those two podcasts, I'm sure. But if they do go ten and four, I think they're twelve games above five hundred. So that would just That's be awesome. a, that'd be a huge boon to you know their record and whatnot. So, well, um, I gotta hope they go better than ten and four. Just, I mean, uh, yeah, putting the cart before the horse there. Yeah, but, but given how good they've been at home, I mean. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm just excited. That's a lot of Cavs basketball to watch. Um, there are a couple, you know, back to backs, but thankfully I think one of the back to backs is like the Kings and the Thunder, and then another one is like the the uh Pacers and the Mavs. So it's not like the mo- it's like, you know, there is some fortunality where you're not playing your toughest opponents back to back. Like the Bucks and the Raptors are two days apart. Um, then the Nets are also two day, three days after that. So, you know, there was some space out, so the Cavs could be pretty well rested in between some of these really important home games. That that's a super fun schedule. I'm excited. I and then don't they play the uh, they play the Bulls on New Year's Eve, right? Yep, they do like a home yeah. and home with the Bulls on New well, Year's Eve. Well, because that's the second. so now that I've moved, that's the closest town to me, and I was like very tempted to go down to uh, uh, Chi Town for for the New Year's Eve just to catch that game and then party. But I think I think I'm gonna uh, a little more reserved, a uh, little just bundle up uh, with some hot cocoa and some bourbon and w- watch them on the TV. Ain't <laughs> nothing like it. Yeah, exactly. So what, um, anything to look out for with this stretch, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I guess, well, I mean, what I wanted to bring up was uh, one of the things, going back to Evan Mobley, uh, that I loved was, and also the thing to watch for me is Evan Mobley, because, I mean, he's obviously surging and coming on now after uh, a slow start to the season. Um, it, It was great to hear him talk about he remembered that the Sixers swept the Cavs last year in in last season. And what I loved was he was prepared for the next time around. Like you could tell, like he humbled himself and was ready for the matchup, you know, last night. And I thought that was pretty cool. Like uh, just you don't get like because he's such an even keeled like just unassuming guy, you know what I mean? He never really shows you what he's really feeling, you know, or like what, what his emotions are, you know, he doesn't really wear his heart on his sleeve or whatever. Um, but, uh, he definitely, he, he was talking some shit. He was definitely talking some shit. Slim Duncan, maybe a little bit. Like he was just like, Hey, they whooped our ass. You know, they thought, you know, he was like basically paraphrasing. He was like, they whooped our ass last year and they probably thought they could come in here. This, you know, they could probably, they thought they could come in here and just get an easy win. And he was just like, but they had another thing coming. You know what I mean? I love that. You know what I mean? Like, He's talking his shit and, you know, and backing it up. So that's what I have to look forward to. The thing, you know, that's the thing, like, looking forward is um, what I wanted to say about that starting lineup from last night was that they ranked, they rank the third best lineup of the season of any lineup with more than 12 minutes on the court. So there's the, only the Diakite lineup. The Diakite lineup. Wow. 
top three. There's only there's only fifteen fourteen lineups that have been used more than twelve minutes this year. Well, and how many of right. us have been clamoring for more Diakite and less? Um, I'm not going to say his name. I'm going to let you say his name, but I call him the Ant marching to Isengard <laughs> uh, when he's in the post. I mean, but well, who would Nova. you rather see? Shout out, yeah, exactly. I know, right? Yeah, exactly. Shout out to Nomad. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing is. My big beef. Okay, so now we now we can go on. We gushed. Now we can go negative. And my negativity is all towards JD Bickerstaff's rotations. Oh my god, the over reliance on Robin Lopez and the complete disappearing act of Raúl Neto is just one of the most ridiculous it's so it seems so stupid to complain about it because we're a top three team you know dominating you know in the league or whatever but it's like these are the things that you need to be good at if you want to be the best and it's like Rolo is the only I, I, I pulled it up he is he and Lamar Stevens are the only two Cavs that have negative net ratings on the season I believe that I, I'm a little surprised about Stevens, but I also know well, that the there's thing probably is, a lot of garbage time minutes. That that's what I was just going to say is that down. Stevens has taken a massive leap uh, towards a positive direction with the starters, obviously. So um, he was actually coming on just before he got sick. So uh, that really sucks for Stevens. But I, I you know, I'd assume he's still going to see some time in the rotation. Hopefully, well, and that's the whole thing is: are we going to see these guys in the rotation? When once this team gets healthier, are we still going to see Diakite? You know, are we still going to see Lamar Stevens? You know, who seemed to really and see that's the whole thing is the reason why the Cavs had a lull. You know, like they've been mired in a little bit of five hundred ball since the good streak at the beginning of the season is their defense kind of slipped, and that's what putting Lamar Stevens in the starting lineup is for. That's what putting Diakite in the starting lineup is for. And they brought it, you know, they play, they're playing amazing defense with these guys, you know? And so it's just like, uh, well, and, is JD and actually going to stick to it? defense has taken a big step forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he's had some crazy plays. Like how about, was it Detroit? He had that play where he just kind of, came down and uh, Corey Joseph, he like Corey Joseph put up some weak ass shit. He came down, jumped, grabbed it before he flew, flew out of bounds, passed it to, I can't remember who he passed it to, but that was like Jordan esque. You know what I mean? Yeah. LeBron esque. There you go. So, I mean, I love this idea of just like, I feel like a Kind of the thing that I'm looking for for is can JB be more creative about you know and adjusting and being versatile about his lineups? Can can we see some small ball on occasion? It doesn't have to be Robin Lopez with Mobley at the four all the time. In fact, I'd say Mobley's. You know, I think one of the reasons we're seeing Mobley kind of pop off, especially on the offensive end, is he's now getting favorable matchups at the five. You know, he's no longer having to go against a better defender or a more versatile defender at the four, you know, when he's playing at the four. 
So now he's been able to exploit, you know, one of the things about the game plan last night was simply Mobley run down the court. You could, if you beat Joel Embiid down the court, you're going to get an easy bucket, you know? And yeah, and he's posting up early too. Yeah, exactly. Which is super he's, nice to see. Yeah, he's getting a mismatch or he's finding a hole, he's finding a space in the defense, and he's just getting free dunks and stuff. Well, know, he's so. been a lot more decisive with the ball. Like, you're not seeing him with those really hesitant dribbles where he doesn't know where the help defense is coming from. Like, he's being much more decisive, which I think was the big adjustment he needed to make offensively. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, those, those, you know, I don't know if I answered your question, but, yeah, there's a whole bunch well, of things. I wanted you to complain about yeah. Robin Lopez a little more. <laughs> there <laughs> Which, you go. I, I mean, like Rolo. I like him. No, I think yeah. he serves a purpose. He he definitely serves a purpose. I'm more I'm more pissed about JB just kind of – it's like a security blanket. He just can't, you know, shake basically at this point. It's just like he wants to be big. He wants to play these big lineups. And it's like – he was getting cooked all night the second that Embiid came out of the game, you know? So it's just like, what are you doing, JB? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, and just watching him post up in, like, slow, slow-mo Rolo is what I called it last night. It was just like, what is happening? Like, Eli, you were there. Does Robin Lopez seem as slow in person as he does on TV? Honestly, I feel like he looks slower in real life. <laughs> but he's also, because, you know, like big guys, they look slow in person because of just how big they are. But then in actuality, they cover so much space. So it's like, it's more effective than you think, even though they look really slow. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, but he does look slow in per- slower in person, I think, for sure. I, the one lineup I want to see uh, when everybody's healthy, I want to see a little Alan Mobley Diakite. Like, let's just roll that out for five minutes and see what that looks like. Like, defensively, I am very intrigued by that lineup. Um, maybe, maybe play a little matchup zone with that. I, I'm excited by that. I don't know. Wait, what, what do you think, Chris? You think, you know, Jamie going small, uh, you think he big ball? I mean, that's the thing is, I think Diakite's versatile enough to play either way. You could play some small Mobley ball, too. you could play some big ball. Yeah, Mobley too. Yeah, we got the versatile guys. Let's let's start being creative. Like, you know, I'd love to see, you know, wait till Love gets back. Don't you think Diakite would look great next to Love? Oh, man, Diakite and Mobley would love? Oh, yeah. Oh my God. I'm excited yeah, about there's that. Some, there's some space now. There's space. There's length. There's size. There's rebounding. Like, man, like we got to and, and but that's the whole thing is is JB going to trust the Akita? Please, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm with just you. like like and, and the same thing with Chetty. Like, we're seeing the benefits of trusting Chetty. Yeah, yeah Chetty yep. isn't going to like light it on fire every night. He'll have a night like last night where he goes one of five, but. He's so he brings so much energy and he he opens up the floor because teams respect him, you know, and teams. He helps the rebounding, too, because they know he's going to leak out, you know, so teams can't crash. He was a plus 40 last night or something. No, he was only plus eight. Well, no, no. I mean, net rating. Oh, Uh, net rating. Yeah. So it's adjusted for his it's adjusted for his minutes. Okay. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I want to, and I do want to get a little bit into some lineup data. So, uh, when we, when we come back, Chris is gonna, we'll, we'll do a little lineup trivia and a little net rating trivia. Welcome back to Casa Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. Chris Francis, Eli Kim are here with me. And I, and I gotta call Chris to task a little bit because I feel like he's missing a podcasting opportunity when he cracks open that drink and it's not like it's while we're off the air, like that. I missed that natural opportunity to ask him what he's drinking. So what what are you, what are you drinking, Chris? I am drinking Trace Generaciones tequila reposado um, from the Familia Sousa. So are, do you mix that? No, drink it straight. Okay, so what did I hear opening it? Eli, did oh, you open Oh, that was a Coca-Cola. That, so, so, that, that was, yeah, Coke back. Oh, nice. Okay. So not not a not a mixer, but a back. Got it. Yep, yep. Straight yeah. Coke or diet. Oh. Coca-Cola Coca-Cola classic. Nice. Nice. And and yeah, I've got pure filtered water here. So <laughs> really kicking it old school. Um so Chris, take us through some lineup data. What? Uh, so you've got like a quarter's worth of uh, a season's lineups. Um, we know the Cavs have had a boatload of starting lineups this year. Um, they've had almost as many starting lineups as they've had games, right? Yeah. Like yeah, they've had no, like I mean, twenty-two different starting lineups. I think. Yeah, they only have one lineup that's seen more. They only have one five-man lineup that's seen more than a hundred minutes. That's insane. What lineup is that? That would be the Garland Mitchell Karras uh, Allen Mobley lineup. So, so what's that one looking like? Like, because well, I feel like it Karras- was. Yeah, it yeah, was excellent. Ahead. Yeah, no, it was excellent defensively. One hundred seven point two. Defensive rating. Uh, unfortunately, the offense was a disaster at one hundred six point three. So it was a point. It was a negative point nine net rating, and um, they just they you know they just struggled to shoot with that lineup. It sounds like two very mediocre end of the dial radio stations there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what what lineups jump off the page and go whoa? Where did that come from? Like, why aren't we seeing more of that? Well, I mean, one of the most successful ones on the season, um, and we the reason why we haven't seen it is because it was from early. It was it was um, without Darius Garland. It was Karis Levert, uh, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Jared Allen, Dean Wade, and Evan Mobley. Um, they were uh, plus twenty three point six in fifty four minutes. Um, so. Yeah, it's a pretty well used lineup, and it was highly successful. Um, they and they did pretty much. They shot over sixty percent true shooting. Um, they rebound the ball exceedingly well on defense, seventy five point five percent defensive rebound rate. Uh, yeah, and it's just a, a ninety two point zero defensive rating with that lineup. So I think well, there are no defensive wink links on exactly. That Exactly. There's no, uh, that's what I love about that lineup. And also it's kind of proof of concept of, you know, you can have two ball dominant players on there uh, on the lineup, but you can't really work with three, you know? So I'm with you. Yeah. So, you know, having Dean Wade kind of in there as the low usage uh, glue guy 
really, I think, makes that lineup work. Uh, it makes it really, like you said, there's no weak link. Karras is at the two, so he gets his touches, but he's also going to guard a guard, you know, at 6'6". Six, six. So you, you're, and Donovan Mitchell at 6'3", and strong at the point guard position, there's no, you could switch everything, theoretically. You can switch everything, keep the defense really simple, um, and you can let Karras and Mitchell cook on offense, and it works perfectly. So Well, and, and defensive rebounding, like every single player on that lineup, like Dean Wade's probably the worst rebounder on that lineup. <laughs> I mean, the guards are better rebounders than he is. I don't know. I mean, Dean Wade's pretty good. So, Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm just saying yeah. as guards, yeah, LeVert as guards, and right, Mitchell sure. are fantastic rebounders. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, what's nice about that is, you know, I what I want to see is JB employ these lineups at the right time, you know, in the right, you know, does he employ this uh, lineup when we really need a stop, you know, in a big game? You know what I mean? Does does he take one of Darius or Mitchell off just to, you know, I mean, these are the questions that I wonder about because um, the thing, I, I think the thing that's been a trend with JB's uh, coaching style as far as rotations are concerned, I don't know whether it's injuries or not. That's something, you know, smarter people got to determine, but he really does not stick with lineups at all. He doesn't, you know, he loves to tinker. He loves to you know, put pieces in, pieces out. He doesn't like to stick with anything very much at all. So I just wonder, even though he tinkers a lot, it just seems like some of these lineups that are that are really good just don't seem to get very much run. Well, and I think that's part of what leads to some of the offensive continuity problems. Like you see it at the beginning of games. I think that's one of the reasons the Cavs have had such a hard time getting off to good starts is when you're running 22 different starting lineups, like just the pacing and, and what you're familiar with is going to be a little bit different every game. Oh yeah. No, I mean the injury factor is definitely, I mean, like I said, last night's, uh, Diakite lineup starting lineup automatically became a top 15 used lineup because there's been so much change in, in, you know, switching lineups, injuries, stuff like that, that, that that's already become a, a well-used lineup this season. So what are some of the really bad ones that jump off the page that surprise you a little? Sure. Uh, the, the worst one that's been used to the greatest degree would probably be the, it's um, uh, Mitchell. It's actually the Mitchell Garland Stevens Allen Mobley lineup. Um, it's been, used, it's been used for 63 minutes, uh, and it's at a negative 5.6 net rating. Um, the main thing about it is the defense isn't as good as you'd think. Um, there, uh, it's a 116, 116.9 defensive rating, 111.3 offensive rating. They shoot the lights out of the ball, but, uh, apparently they don't stop anybody. So, um, obviously that's a victim of noise too. It's not enough of a sample size of it. You know, there's the usual caveats, but you know, it's interesting. The, the, the absolute worst one, um, if you want to go just, uh, you know, what, what was a disaster? It was Karis Levert, Donovan Mitchell, Okoro, uh, Mobley and Allen. So it was an <laughs> attempt at like a, you know, kind of hyper-focused defensive lineup. 
but it's a complete disaster. 129.6 defensive rating, 86.3 offensive rating. It's just... Uh, I almost wonder if that was all when Akora was just in that was, horrific yes. slump. Yes. It was. Well, and then it you've was. got two just unbelievably streaky players in Okoro and Levert, and if you catch both those guys when that, they're yeah, right. at their yeah. nadir, it's yeah. it's not good. Well, the thing, yeah, and the thing that I think is the open question is, um, I don't have it pulled up this second, but the open question ultimately to me is, is Tower City working this year? And I think the, I think the answer is I'm not sure because um, I want to say they've been better separately than they've ever been together this season. So yeah, so this season, um, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley in 371 minutes together on the court are a minus 0. .48. Hmm. With a one twelve defensive rating, one thirteen defensive rating. That's that's weird. You would not think that. Yeah. So they they've been better apart than they've been together, huh? Yep. They're both positive impact, especially Jared Allen. Jared Allen without Evan Mobley, uh, one hundred seventy two minutes, uh, net rating of a plus thirty. I, and I wonder if a lot of that is. I think it's crowd in the pain. Yeah, I yeah, think it's basic. Exactly. It's because basic. they they put um Mobley at the dunker spot a lot and him at the high post a lot or yep. in the pick and roll and I feel like a lot of times it should be the other way around. But I think that lineup works great against the zone because Mobley and Allen are so great at flashing to the middle and then they can cut the baseline. But I think that is a harder one to work against traditional defenses. I don't know. I mean, Eli, what do you think of like anything that you've seen that can kind of explain the, the Allen Mobley kind of paradox, the tower city not being as successful as we think it would be. Yeah. I think for me, it's mostly on Mobley. Um, he's not as good when he's alone. So I feel like you have to blame him more than Jared Allen in this case. But I also think it's part of JB's rotation. So I do agree with Chris that some of the rotations are hurting this uh, duo. I mean, I think they put too much pressure on them, especially when Mitchell's not playing to like defend everybody. Well, um, especially in all those um, Osman um, and Levert, like Levert's been playing good D, but the problem is when the Cavs have to not play Mitchell and a lot, they either are more defensive focused or offensive focused. And that still hurts your net rating because when they go defensive focused, they can't score enough to be positives. And then when they go mm-hmm. offensive focused, they can't stop anybody. So I think that it works, but I also think Mobley started off pretty slow this season. So that probably is where the remnants of, them still being negative is at this point of the season. Cause well, and I thought Allen started off slow too. No, he definitely did. I mean, they both did, but I think um, Allen kind of picked it up earlier and he's still overall when he's by alone, he was, he's been the better player statistically so far this year. So, um, but I think long-term, I think that the duo will be a positive by every metric. Um, it's just, can the Cavs 
get to a point of comfort where they play enough together and they're both, you know, not battling injuries and they're both com- more comfortable playing off of Levert, Mitchell, and Garland um, at various points in the game. So I think it's also, in a, in a way though, I think it's actually positive that their impact is better when they're split because you can't expect to play them always together. So I think it's actually a good thing that they're proving that they can be a positive impacts without, you know, both of them having to be in the lineup. Well, I think the other thing that there's a weird lack of shooting a lot of times at the three for the Cavs. Like I would be really interested to see, like, do you have three man lineup data? Yeah. I mean, I can, I I, I would think that the best guy would, that would be with Mobley and Allen would be Chetty at the three because Dean Wade's been wildly inconsistent as a shooter. You know, Stevens, we know, is is reticent to shoot. We know Okoro's troubles. So here you go. 99 minutes of Chetty and Jared Allen without Mobley is a net plus 49 in 99 Ooh. minutes. Um, all three of them together and have played, they played 82 minutes together. They're a plus nine, okay, uh, with a one twenty offensive rating. So what's the defensive it rating? Defensive rating is one ten. Okay, so which not, isn't not, great. But. Yeah, wasn't, but their offense more than makes up for it. I mean, huh. offense is, you know, that's that's elite. You know, that's championship level offense they're playing. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of the key to unlocking Tower City is to have a good shooter at the three. I think it really, when you've got really, yeah. Wade and Stevens and Okoro just aren't shooting well enough to, to really unlock that offensively. Yeah. And, and Mobley's not there yet as a shooter. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going to go with, you know, I would agree with Eli that it's probably on Mobley that, for the reason why the pairing's not as effective as possible. And it's totally because he's not there as a three-point shooter yet or an outside shooter yet. You know, I, I just think once Mobley demonstrates the ability to hit hit the outside shot consistently, which I, I think actually has been coming slowly along this season. It's more slow than last season, but I think there's a different confidence about Mobley finding those shots this year. And uh, as soon as that comes along, I think then we're going to see some drastic difference, you know, in, in that pairing. And also, I'll just say, if if Wade can get consistent, and you know, even if he can just hit thirty five percent consistently, I think that'd be huge for unlocking. Um, you know, as a guy who will not hesitate to take an open shot, I think that'd be huge for unlocking. You know, Tower City, and and I got some other ideas, but I want to talk about them when we when we come back after the break. Welcome back to this fifty percent Korean. Cavs the podcast. I know Eli always mm-hmm. likes to, uh, to for me to tout that, um, and uh, I, I love my Korean brothers, so um, I'm excited to be here with y'all. And, and one thing I did want to talk about is, you know, the Cavs are sitting on a 14 man roster. I think on the uh, the Twitter first and whatever social media comes to replace Twitter eventually. Um, there's been a lot of teeth gnashing over whether the Cavs should have filled that 15th roster spot. You know, a lot of people are saying, you know, with, with all the injuries that 
Um, should have added another center. But I think, you know, the way we all just talked, the Cavs need to really get a small forward that makes sense playing consistently to kind of unlock that Tower City. Is that guy on this team or do they need to be looking around, Eli? Um, candidly, I think they don't have it internally unless Dean Wade can magically start hitting over 35% of his threes uh, consistently, like you mentioned. I think I have a dream player. I think you know who I'm going to say, but unfortunately that team is also playing really well right now, so I don't think it's a possibility. Is that is that Harrison Barnes? That is. Um, so, you know, like a Harrison Barnes or Dorian Finney-Smith, like I feel like those two are the two perfect players that the Cavs need. Uh, the way Wait, isn't Dean Wade shooting forty two percent from three this season? On what, like two attempts a game, and he's played what, like nine games this year? I feel like that's a JB thing. It might be. I mean, I think I think Wade could be that guy, but we just haven't seen it yet. And I'm a little worried about his defense. His defense has not been super great this year. Not as good as I remember it. Um, and his consistency just isn't at the same level as, as a Harrison Barnes, obviously, in my opinion. Well, and the other thing is the ability to stay healthy. He hasn't, we haven't seen it consistently, you know, throughout his Cavs tenure. Like, I feel like you get five, six games and then two, three games off from Dean Wade, you know, and, and that's hard to build a lineup around that if you're not available. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm pleasantly surprised. He is taking three attempts a game. So 42% on three attempts is really good. Uh, so maybe <laughs> if JV plays him a lot more, maybe I would feel better about it. Um, so I stand corrected on that. But Oh, man. Um, Chris coming with the... <laughs> coming with the hard... I'm just saying. I'm just... I gotta, I gotta back my boy up. But... But also, it's a double win for me because I get to slander JB again. So... <laughs> JB, yeah. what are you doing, buddy? Come but on. To be to be fair, I mean he's only played in sixteen games too, so maybe there's part of JB thinking this guy is not going to be a no, sixty-five game starter. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There might be an element of he's trying to preserve him and kind of baby him through the season. I, I would totally, I, I would totally buy that. Yeah. Um, in terms of trade slop, though, it's. It's kind of frustrating, right? Because the Cavs have, I would say they have four guys that they're trying to play at the three right now consistently. It's Lamar Stevens, Dean Wade, um, Lavert, and Okoro. And, and it's Chetty. Like, Chetty. And I guess Chetty, too. But they, it's like they just need like two of those guys to be a little bit better. And if you could like combine a couple skill sets or size things, like, that's exactly what they need. They don't need a high usage guy in that slot. So my pitch and idea thought is once Rubio's back and you feel comfortable with him playing the backup point role that Lavert is playing really well so far, got to give him credit for doing being a great playmaker um, in that six man role. Six man role for the Cavs. Um, I think Lavert's the only piece you could the Cavs can really trade, and they need to find like. If they do go that route, finding that more consistent, bigger three-point shooting, low-usage defensive wing is like the goal. Um, 
instead of, you know, like another on ball guy. So that's my theory. I think I know Chris is probably not happy with my suggestion, but, (laughs) but that's, that's my opinion. Cause I just think the Cavs, when it's in the playoffs, they don't, need LeVert to be handling the ball that much because it's always going to be... Oh, I disagree 100%. Like, that's when he's going to become most valuable. I I mean, that's where we disagree. I think that's where we <laughs> most disagree most on because I think in the playoffs, you don't want LeVert to handle the ball that much. I think you're, you're every minute of the postseason basketball should be going through Garland or Mitchell. Well, yeah, opinion. but they're going to double them is the point. They're going to double them, and and I'm comfortable and with Rubio being that guy. Yeah. Oh, well, okay, fair. Yeah, huh? I'm comfortable with Rubio in that role as the playmaker, though. Is my yeah. I'm not case. counting on Rubio. Like that's I I that's where I would planning for Rubio to me is a fool's errand right now. You know, yeah, it's all he, gravy if he plays. Is that exactly what you're exactly? He's coming off the second ACL. He's over thirty years old. You know, to me, it, if he can just get to Raul Neto's level of 10 minutes, you know, give us five to 10 minutes in a game, you know, I'm thinking that's amazing. Um, but, you know, to me, like, it's going to be Karras that's going to be getting the serious minutes, can defend. We know he can defend. We know he can, uh, you know, operate at a high level in the playoffs. So, you know. I mean, that's the whole thing. What, why the Karras doubt? Like, he's the only one that's actually done anything in the playoffs out of our backcourt besides uh, besides uh, Mitchell. Why, why do I doubt him? Because he's not a positive player in the advanced metrics. Uh, that's he's why. He's plus 15 on the season. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Plus 7.6 on the season. But relative to, like, but that's, I th- so I'm saying historically, though, he's not. Everyone's kind of buoyed this year because of how great they started. And Levert's missed all the games where they lost. So he's like been positively affected by missing games in a weird way here. But I think like even last night, he had a great box score. But he wasn't the best plus minus player last night. Um, so I'm just skeptical that he's a, that he's truly a net positive player in a playoff setting. But, so I mean, he I feel literally like we, proved it with the Nets, though, is my point. So I feel like we've got, like, basically two wings here. You, Eli, you kind of want to scour around. Your best-case scenario is go find a higher usage or a higher minutes uh, solid shooting three, whereas, Chris, you're kind of like, you know, three by committee, let him cook, see who percolates up, and – you need Karras for those bench guard minutes in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, my my thing is if you – the need is if you can find someone better than Karras as a six-man off the bench, as a, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie-type role, Jordan Poole role, you know, Tyler Hero role, like uh, Derek White role, like can you improve on that archetype? Like not getting another low usage three and D we already have five of those guys, you know, like w- what's the improvement, you know, to me, it's, it's like, if you want to, uh, trade away Karis, you've got to get back a guy 
who's good in the six-man role who can create shots for others. You can't trade him for a guy who plays a completely different role, you know, because then you're, 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 you know, you know, I get that the plan relies on Rubio to make it work. But like I said, Rubio is not playing and we don't know what Rubio will look like until probably February or March. So, I mean, if you want to replace Karras, you've got to replace him with a guy who handles the ball and creates his own shots and passes the ball. Man, you guys are you guys are trading haymakers here. I love it. <laughs> I, mean, I love it. it no, I, I do too. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Chris. That like, you, if you do trade Levert, I'm banking on Rubio being at least eighty percent of what he was. Um, but would you agree that Le- Rubio last year before he was hurt is better than was better than what Levert is doing now? Is that more impactful than what? Slightly. It's honestly the Metrics are saying that he was only slightly better. Yeah, I don't know. I, I gotta the Rubio vibes were, were Rubio, real. Like I, I mean, feel like he no, was, was the vibes king. He 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 was. Uh, the things that but if you look at the stats, you know, just the Rubio was probably shooting worse than Karras. Or at least probably. Oh, I know level. he was from three. Like yeah. Karras has been sneaky good from three this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's had his stinker games, but yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm just saying neither of them are necessarily uh, an efficient scorers. You know, they're they're more of their value is produced with their passing and with their defense. So um, and I would say, you know, that's fair. If you want to say Rubio is better, I would agree. You know, he was probably better last year. But I mean, this year with what Karras is doing, I mean, he's basically replicating what Rubio was doing. And honestly, I think he can do it better in the sense of scoring. You know, I think he provides just slightly better scoring, uh, uh, from what Rubio produced. Uh, although, you know, Rubio's three was looking good last year for, for as bad as he's been. Yeah. And remember I was the one that ironically at the beginning of the year said Levert reminded me a lot of Rubio, right? Or he was <laughs> terrible was at the rim, we were, terrible we're, at the we're, rim. Yeah, was hot from three, played decent enough defense, and was the best, like the best bench. I love it. <laughs> you're no, absolutely, I'm, it's I'm, right. It's yeah, it, you it, are it, right. It, it's absolutely true. I'll be like I tell my daughters, girls, you're both pretty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's. I think oh, it's an interesting debate. Um, I mean, like obviously, nothing's personal here against him or me, but it's mm-hmm. just I, I think me and Benworth are pretty negative on Levert overall still, even though I would admit that his season this year has been a lot better than I could have ever anticipated. Um, but long-term, I just think it's hard for me to put my eggs in that basket. And that is the most valuable chip that the Cavs have this year if they want to improve. So I'd be, to me, I think I'd be open to trading Levert. Um, but I think Chris is, not in that camp where he would trade Levert. So here I, I, wouldn't I will say no. pose. I wouldn't say no to trading Levert, but what I'm saying is that to get some, to make it worthwhile and to get something that's going to improve the team, that scenario is highly unlikely is what I'm saying. I'm saying who is, I, the, I think like, that's fair. Give me, give me a name that is better than Karis that can be attained. 
Well, and the Cavs don't have a lot of assets to attach. Like they basically have one distant first round draft pick or a second, and they got to take a guy who basically is worn out as welcome or the team doesn't want to pay a salary anymore. Like I almost think that you're almost more likely to get a buyout guy than to have a trade. And we kind of, I don't love buyout guys because I feel like you change your team chemistry to make it work and then you screw up what got you there. So I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm going to, we're going to take a real quick break and then uh, I want to kind of pitch who uh, I got a devil's bargain for you. And then, uh, then we'll get into some, uh, some pitches and some story time. So welcome back to Cavs, a podcast, Chris Francis, Eli Kim, Nate Smith, we are uh, we're, we're kicking around a little trade slop. You know the battle is: do we let the do we let them cook, uh, or do or do the Cavs need a uh, do they need a stud running back or a running back by committee? You know, at the small forward position. So we'll we'll kind of see how that plays out. I don't think we're going to see anything, and at least until mid December is kind of when the trade rumors start kicking around because of those guys that have been signed in the summer. Fifteenth, yeah, yep. are eligible to be traded. Two weeks, and there's a lot of guys. Like I feel like Utah is kind of at a crossroads. Uh, I could definitely see some guys getting traded from Charlotte. One guy I'm very curious about um, is uh, PJ Washington. I think is having a, a pretty nice season for uh, the Hornets. Um, you know, can play the three or the four, uh, a volume three point shooter, not always an efficient one, but that, that guy's got some usage. Uh, and of course we all know the devil's bargain, uh, that is in Charlotte. Uh, I know you've thrown it around a few times, Eli, and that is, um, Gordon Haywood or Gordon Hayward. Sorry. Um, but the only way to make that trade work with the Cavs is if you traded Kevin Love. And I is that a bridge too far for you? I feel like you're you're murdering the vibes. Uh would you make a trade like that, Eli? I I can't. I don't think so. And I actually think in I'm actually pretty low on Love this year. I think he's pretty forked defensively now. Like what? last year. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. What? He's I think he's improved. I think he's improved this year. No, I think, I think he's actually giving a shit on defense this year. He is, but I think his feet are moving even less, though. Like, I think that Atlanta game was, I mean, the comeback Atlanta had was because they picked on him so hard. And Love can still be a positive player, don't get me wrong, but he has to be hitting his shots for that to be the case. It's, like, really dependent on that. But that being said, I think you don't make that trade for two reasons. Vibes, and also you're just trading for a guy who can't stay healthy. I mean, I think Hayward's out right now with an injury um, as as a reporting. (laughs) So I think for that reason, you can't. Ironically, I think Hayward is the perfect archetype, though. I mean, I think maybe Chris would agree. He's a big guy. He shoots threes, and he can play make. So if you're trading Levert, I mean, that's the type of player you would do that for, I think. Um, so here's another just... one. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Or Bojan. Bojan, not Bogdan. 
Bojan is the one that plays for Detroit, who is shooting the lights out. Yeah, I mean, that one's tough because of the contract, though, because he's pretty old, and you have to pay him for the next three years. Um, Only really two, because... Correct, um, two after this. Yeah, yeah. the third year is only $2 million guaranteed on like a right. $19 million deal. So likely but he it, will be waived. I think the Cavs aren't there yet in terms of being like right at the door of being a, a contender to go for a move like that. But I could see like that type of player is kind of what I would look for. Um, I mean, Chris, you could chime in on both those guys. I'm kind of curious what you think. I would totally agree with you that Gordon Hayward is a more like-for-like replacement of Karras, for sure. Like, uh, And you might even be able to convince Gordon Hayward to accept a deal like that just because he'd get more opportunities on ball, which he does not get necessarily down in Charlotte. Um, but with Boyan, is it Boyan or Bog, Bojan? I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know either. Or Bogdan. Okay. So no, it's Boyan. Yeah. It's yeah. Boyan. But they still um, call him Bogey. Bo- yeah. I know. That's weird. It, well, cause they have the same last name. Yeah, exactly. So, um, with him, you're losing the on ball, uh, passing creation component with him. You're just getting a strictly three and D player whose defense is, gotten cooked in the last playoffs so that's the reason why i'm out on i mean i'm out on both of them for different reasons i'm out on uh hayward obviously because of the age contract and injury factor you know as eli said um with boyan it's about the role he's a low he'd be a great low usage you know great low usage three and d guy to get but if you got to give up one of your main playmakers, I mean, like literally Karras is one of our best passers, like just behind, like he's probably just behind Garland and probably just behind Garland, honestly. And I guess you, if you want to say Neto, but Neto's barely played, um, you know, basically Garland behind Garland, it's, you know, uh, Karras as far as passing is concerned. You know, Mitchell can do it, but main, Mitchell's main thing is scoring. Um, so uh, if you're not replacing like for like, you know, that's not happening with Boyan. Uh, so um, what I was curious about, I don't know what you guys know or not. I mean, what are the names of play? Who are the, who are the best play creators that are going to be available? Are there any buyout guys uh, that are play creators or, you know, uh, or three and D guys that can be, uh, gotten on the buyout market. I, I feel like there's not going to be a ton of buyouts this year, to be honest with you. I mean, I've heard no rumors at all. Like, I don't know about yeah. you guys, but I've heard nothing. Like a lot about- of those guys that are perpetual buyout guys, they're out of the league. You know, we, we, we're not seeing Dwight Howard. We don't see, um, Hassan Whiteside. Uh, uh, Hassan Whiteside to me is the best available free agent, and by all accounts, he's kind of a locker room cancer. But he was a monster last year off the bench for Utah. Like it's just there. I don't. Who's the other guy? Uh, Carmelo is always a buyout guy. Like I just don't see him this year. Uh, I think the league's gotten younger, faster. I think it's going to be really hard to justify getting a buyout guy. I got another name, not a buyout guy, that I I'm going to pitch you uh, Alec Burks. 
I think uh, would be a great fit as a guy who literally can play three positions. The problem is he's like one of the best bench scorers in the league this year. So I like Burks. I, I oh, mentioned I him too. last year. I mentioned yeah. him last year um, as a Rubio replacement, you know, low by low Rubio replacement. So, no, I like that idea. Now, that idea I like, except, well, well, the reason why I like that idea is because I don't think it costs Karras to get him. I think you'd package something like a Coro, uh, a Coro somebody and a pick you know is it a coro neto and a pick a second round pick you know yeah but do you give up on a coro for a guy that's got maybe one or two years left of usefulness like i feel like it's like windler um yep yep i could yep that'd be ideal i don't know if there's enough contracts around like the Cavs don't have a lot of tradable contracts like you can't trade chetty at this point um yep i agree uh, you know, it would be Windler Stevens, and I don't know if that – I don't even think that works from a trade standpoint. You know, it's weird that $10 million salary is a hard one to fill for the Cavs because really the only guys they have are Levert and Windler probably that they would trade unless you go Kevin Love. And like you said, maybe you do Levert and you get Alec Burks and – who else is on the Pistons? Um, like a <laughs> who did Corey Joseph? You know, maybe you get Alec Burks and Corey Joseph for for Karis Levert. Like that doesn't feel like a positive move. That feels like a no. That's a downgrade. Yeah. Well, and you're getting older. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. no. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hundred percent agree. Like I feel like Levert still has one more contract in him and. Maybe if he doesn't have the greatest year, you can get him on a reasonable. I don't know. Were you who was saying that Sadiq Bay is available? Like, where did that rumor come from? That's uh, legit, right? Jake Fisher. Yeah, that's legit, right? That's pretty. That's as legit as it can be, I think. Now, but I think the cost would be expensive. Don't get me wrong. Right. What do you think the cost is? It's got to be a first rounder, right? At least, yeah. I feel like. If you did, That's outrageous. A, I would do a Coro, um, Windler, and a first for Sadiq Bay and like uh, uh, Alec Burks. Like that's an interesting trade. Okay. Like okay. That, now you're talking. Now you're talking. Like, there we okay. go. <laughs> like Sadiq Bay would be such a great three for this team, long term. Like. Oh, I, I, I don't. I don't great think. Defensive player, not I, I think that's a three-point shooter. I think that's way too high of expectation for him. To me, it's he's a playable version of Dylan Windler, right? No, he's so much better than Dylan Windler. He's. I don't think he's, so. he's not that great. He's. He's. I, I think. Whoa, 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 whoa. We, we, he's not that good. He, he's not that good. There, there's a reason why he's being offered. So I'm looking up Sadiq based stats here You're now. Not Googling so. action. Let's see. Well, it. okay. So his three point shooting's kind of fallen off a cliff this year. That's part of the problem. Uh, he's only shooting mm-hmm. 27% from three, but he's Ooh. 90% from the line. His rebounding is down. Like, yeah, he's he's he a better version. A ch- he, he's a better version of Dylan Windler. That's you know he's no, he's Dylan, a non injured. 
Well, that's like saying a non-serial killer version of Ten Bundy. What does that even mean? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Dylan Windler is known for being Mr. Glass. Like, you can't even... How... I feel like Dylan Windler that's what gets I'm saying. the most that's the, talk that's... about him for the least amount of on-court of any player in NBA history. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is Sadiq Bey is the better version of Dylan Windler. Uh, I think Sadiq Bey could be like, uh, like he plays good defense, too. No, he doesn't. Um, Come on. You, his stock you rig is he's a stock that rig was below his... 2%. So that was his uh, rep in college was he was a good defender that didn't get a lot of stocks. Like yeah. Okoro. Okoro, yeah. Although exactly. Okoro's been racking up the steals lately. He has. About time. There we go. Iceman. I'm intrigued by that, but Sadiq Bey, like, ugh, he's got a negative 3.2 EPM, negative 2.8 defensive. Like, Who's I that? don't know. He's bad. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Nate. I'm glad you came come around here. <laughs> no, um, I'm just he, saying he needs he's a playable of Dylan Wimler. Yeah, he needs playab- a change of scenery. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I think playable Dylan Wimler has been vindicated here. Now, Isaac Okoro's EPM is negative four point five, so <laughs> Which is why the- I mentioned him as trade trade fodder. Well, I also think that's you know, we're only at the quarter way and the first half of the first quarter of the season was abysmal for him, but he's definitely been ticking up. So Wow, actually, he, his steal rate is almost two percent. In terms of fit though, it actually does help because I feel like a is a better fit at the tr- You cut out Eli. Yeah. What, what was that, Eli? I think that in terms of just pure fit too, Sadiq and Okoro would be better like if you traded them because Okoro fits so much better with Kate and Boyan. You can kind of protect Boyan, and he doesn't need to be like as good of a shooter if he's surrounded by Kate and, um, you know, Bogdanovich. Where and then Sadiq Bey would literally have to only shoot and play D um, for the Cavs. So right, and, he would, and also yeah. you actually Okoro gets to develop. You know, Okoro gets to go out there and get those. Colin Sexton, young bull, like just go do yeah. what you were going to do for 30 minutes and learn how to play basketball, offensive basketball. You know, I actually think Okoro and Cade Cunningham long term could be a really interesting back to it, backcourt. Um, it, it actually it's such a good idea that you've just turned me against the idea just because I don't want to give that to Detroit. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, no, I I think it's an interesting idea, but but the other part Okoro's of it is playmaking. I feel like that's the story here. Like I feel like that that's 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 big. Two point five percent. That's that's an improvement. Oh, one point eight steal. Yeah. Okay. No, I think he's definitely like ticking upward. But yeah, the yeah, offense it's, it's is a long bad. way to go. <laughs> The offense is still bad, yeah. I don't think it's bad. I think it's been much better. I, I agree. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been he's playable now. Like, we, we, yeah. yeah, I think we 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 just that was the joke. Although he was once. abysmal against Toronto, but everybody was right, right. So That's and he's also super young, and just young guys don't play well on the road generally. And he's definitely fits that mold. Interesting. Okay, we have beaten the tra- any more trade slop you guys want to throw out there because I feel like we've beaten this to death a little bit. What one, do you got, Eli? One thing I do want to mention: I think it's so weird that 
the Suns lost Cam Johnson to injury, and they still haven't even asked Jake Crowder to come back. I don't know what they're doing. What is going on with that? That is insane. They're just like begging to not get any return on that, which is insane. (laughs) Well, you know what it is. It's the Yee connection, Chris. No way. Is it? Wait, was he signed to Donda Sports? No, I don't know. Was he? <laughs> he was, I thought. What? Oh, man. It see the comes other, full circle. Did so, you see the other Kanye West story today? Tonight? Well, that's where we were talking yeah, about. That's where you, you were talking on. about that off air. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's pretty crazy, too. Oh, CP3. CP3. You know what? Here's I was thinking. No, here's the thing, no, here's the thing do, is I feel say, like place your bets for the same place your bets right now. Phoenix Suns are winning the championship. Out of that, that's that's what that tweet told me. <laughs> no, to me, it's like I would just say no. It wasn't me. It was my twin brother, Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It was. Was it? That was the joke. Was it a Cliff ball? It was Cliff ball. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I yeah, it's just that it is a nutty situation. You can look that up on Twitter if you want, yeah, or yeah, wherever. Yeah, but yeah, we're we're not touching that one. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I know you. There's a devil's bargain, the boss man. I cannot stand Jay Crowder. He is one wait, of wait. That, so Eli, would you trade for boss man? I don't think so because I think wow, it's too. Did. It's a bridge too far for Eli. We know it's bad. <laughs> Well, I just think he's like, he would just be one of the five guys that the Cavs are trying to play. Um, and that's actually why, and I wanted to bring this up earlier, I'm actually really intrigued by Mamadi Diakite because I think he shoots well enough to be like what the Cavs actually need. And he plays. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I absolutely I think, 100% agree. But I just think, like, I think he should be getting an opportunity over Lamar Stevens, even if when Lamar. I would agree. I think he should be getting an opportunity. You know my feelings on Lamar Stevens. He he should be getting over Lamar, over Okoro. I think he surpassed. I I think he surpassed Okoro for a chance. That's just my opinion. But see, where I disagree on that is, I think Okoro actually guards like small guys really well. Um, That's fair. That's what I would agree. Can't do well. So. I give him a shot. No, I think the beauty of Diakite is if you can shoot well enough, you can play him at three positions. And for bench guys, being able to play multiple positions is is gold. You know, that's, that's how you get minutes. That's well, literally how you get minutes. It's also like those the seventy two win Golden State team. They had a bunch of bench guys that you know Livingston, Spates. Uh, that can play multiple positions. I love bench guys that can play multiple positions. Like Iguodala. That's one of the great things about Karras. So Iguodala, exactly. Although I think he was a starter during that team, but I don't remember. Yeah, I think he started at the two on the 71, 72 went to. And then Clay was at the three. That might be right. Yeah. Dre at the four and patchouli oil or uh, I can't remember who was. The, I think it was Bogus. Was Bogus. Was a starter. Yeah. God, I hate those two, Bogut and Patchouli Oil. Bogut, the greatest <laughs> cap stint ever, 18 seconds in the game. Or no, 50. I think it was 50 seconds of playing time before he was out for the year. 
Okay. We're going to take one more break and we're not going to talk basketball anymore when we come back. Cause I feel like we could just trade slop it up all day. <laughs> Cavs, the podcast. Welcome back. Eli, Kim, Chris Francis. I said, I said Chris first because I've, 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 I try to rotate that to who gets the marquee billing, but uh, Chris Francis, you like him, Nate Smith here. We are wrapping up a raucous podcast. I know we started a little late because Eli, uh, you had board game night tonight and, and tell us what you played. Yeah, we played a game called Splendor, uh, Splendor, Splendor. It's well, basically no, it's like a Splendor, reason. like Splendor in the grass. Yeah. Um, but it was a pretty fun game. My first time playing, your objective is to collect five different resources. You can buy different like development cards, basically. Um, it was pretty fun. I enjoyed it. Did not win, unfortunately. Um, so I'll definitely have to play again and try to go for the dub. But um, so, so I do have a question. Did you play the original Splendor? Uh, with the kings and queens and kind of the royalty cards, or did you play Marvel Infinity Stones Splendor? So we played the original, but the Infinity Stones one seemed really intriguing after I looked it up. Yeah. So if I, I really, if I, if I buy a version, I will definitely do the Marvel version for sure. Nice. Oh. And so that's actually one of my daughter's favorite games. Uh, and, and the reason is, uh, they used to play it with, uh, my wife's grandma who, who passed away, it'll be two years in January, but that's like one of their favorite memories is playing that game with her. So that's got a special place in the, in the Smith household, but we don't actually own a copy. My mother-in-law owns a copy and I think we gave a copy away. And so uh, I might do the infinity stone splendor uh, this, this Christmas for, for my daughter. So it's a good idea. I'm glad you brought that up. Do you play anything else, Eli? Uh, we play like one quick, round of like exploding kittens just for fun and nice exploding kittens what the hell is that it's a fun little card game yeah it's, it's a, card a card game? game and basically like if you get too many points your kittens explode and your goal is to like sabotage each other's point total <laughs> so that's what makes it fun you like are trolling each other basically the whole gotcha okay. okay yeah it's a nice little fun like 15 minute game like I like it. I so I own a boatload of board games and I'm hoping to get more and I am getting more board games for Christmas. So it's definitely a hobby in the Smith household. So you guys want any board game advice or any uh, want to pitch any board games? I'm always game. So I'm excited. Although, you know, boardgamegeek.com is probably the best board gaming website on the Internet. And unfortunately, a lot of the top games right now are sold out because of uh, supply chain issues. So you're literally seeing people pay like 200 bucks for board games. It's insane. Um, so it's it's definitely a weird Christmas season in the board game industry. I bet you didn't know that you were going to be on the Cavs the Board Game podcast tonight, Chris. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although I'm writing, I'm taking notes because apparently the nephews will be into this kind of thing. So, oh, nice. We, we might have to have family game night. You know, based oh, on recommendations. So. If you if you want some recs, uh, just give me age groups and attention spans, and they and I'll I'll throw some recs your way. There we go. There we go. We we serve all. We serve all on Cavs the podcast 
So I got to, and we were talking a little bit about Eli, your dog's being a little grumpy with you. Yeah, I think when the weather gets really cold, he hates going out for extended periods of time. Um, so usually in the morning, like I can get him to do both. Um, I'll take him for a little walk. But this morning he wouldn't. And then it just like a trickle down effect because then I got to take him out twice. And then he just says grumpy. And then when I came home after this board game night, I wanted to take him out once. But of course he refused because it's so cold and he just wanted to go like twice. So I was in and out trying to get him to go and he was just freezing. So and he's an old dog. He's 15 years old. So. Whoa! Can't, can't teach him any new tricks. Can't teach him any tricks at all. Yeah. So, what kind yeah, of dog he, is he? He's like a poodle mix. Um, okay, but we think we think there's a little some parts cavalier for sure, just from his um, like lap sitting tendencies. That is nice. apparently hereditary. Yeah, <laughs> and, so I have uh, two dogs. I have a Cavachon, which is a half cavalier, half Bichon, mm-hmm. and then that must be and, really cute and small. Yeah, and then I have uh, a Doge, a Shiba Inu, and he oh, is... Oh, you have a Shiba Inu. Yeah, he is the most stubborn bastard ever. <laughs> I just... He's gotten worse, too, in his old age. So, But I cut you off. You were about to say something else, or you like... Oh, no, I'm just... You know, I think it's just bittersweet, right? Because, you know, your dog's at 15, it's just getting towards the end. So you yeah, just gotta... I know cherish it and try to make the best even if it's a pain in the ass to go out um <laughs> like another thing is his that's flight, true right? love like, that's true love right there. yeah but it, i mean if you think about it right like we think dogs are like our pets but from their perspective man like they're the ones that make us go outside in the middle of the night and pick up their shit so that's well, right i don't know you, you work from home still eli or do you go in no, I go in like three to four days a week. So I tell you what, when I am working for, I work from home full time. Those dogs are the one thing that gets me out of my damn chair. Like they're probably the thing that's kept me from having a heart attack. To be honest with you, <laughs> shout just, out to Nate's dogs. <laughs> just getting up and walking them for a half hour at lunch every day, and you know, so I got a my Doge is just he's so we got him when he was three he was a COVID dog we got him from a puppy mill down uh well it was a puppy mill that surrendered him to the t county humane society uh in tuscarawas county um and he was a breeder and so when we first got him he was just like didn't know how to be a dog had clearly never been touched like didn't know how to walk on a leash, didn't know how to do anything, just super skittish, super scared. The minute we got him, like three minutes after we got him home, my daughter took him out to brush him and he ran off. And we literally had to search for him for like an hour. And my wife found him like three blocks away, pooping on a neighbor's porch. <laughs> so it was, it's been an adventure ever since we got him, but turn into, I even wrote like a thing about my dogs, like uh, existential dread probably the only long form piece I've written in like the last three years. Anyway, (laughs) um, he's super cute, uh, super awesome, but he's gotten so stubborn and skittish lately. And like, I don't even think it's the cold thing you said, Eli, but I took him, he hates storm drains and he really hates storm drains next to mailboxes for whatever reason. Well, 
we had the trifecta of pulling our garbage bins next to the storm drain and the mailbox. And of course I made a mistake of like walking over to try and get the mail. And he will do this thing where he just basically sticks his legs out, plants his butt on the ground and will not move. And I was like pulling him, trying, like I'm half stretching, like I've got the Donovan Mitchell wingspan to get over to the mailbox and get the mail while he's pulling me the other direction. And he's gotten more and more stubborn. He will not go within 25 feet. Like the minute I get out of my driveway or out of my garage, I've got to take him through the neighbor's yard because he won't get within like 25, 30 feet of the storm drain in this mailbox. And it's getting worse. Like the radius he goes around this and how much he just plants his butt and makes us practically drag him, which I don't want to do because is is getting worse and worse. And now every time I walk in the bedroom, he'll like hide under the bed. Like I'll see his little butt up in the air going under the bed like a rabbit. <laughs> um, it's just, he's getting so weird and he gets super cranky at night. Like he'll like anything that moves, like the window blower. Like he's just, he's turning into a stubborn old man. And I don't, I don't know what to do about it. Like, my Cavachon's on Prozac, and I don't want to put this dog on Prozac, but I, I feel like he, he's getting a little too weird. I don't know. Any advice, guys? <laughs> you know, if you drop your dog off in Koreatown, I'm sure they'll find a good Guys, Koreans love Shiba News. I'm so sure they'd take him home, guys. I don't know what you guys are implying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. uh, he got our asses. He so did. I know Shibas are actually related pretty closely to the breed that is most often bred for um, consumption in parts of Asia um, yeah. that I will not name. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're a very particular breed. Uh, any real advice, Eli? I don't know. I only have one dog. I don't know how you manage to. So I think this is the blind leading the blind. If <laughs> <give you> advice. <laughs> well, my Cavachon, he's fine. He's super sweet. No issues. We just, he just had seven teeth removed. Uh, because he eats his food so fast that he won't like uh, crunch it up and like the food just sticks. And we've tried everything like brushing him, whatever. And we finally just, you know, removed some teeth and are going to put an additive in his water, basically. <laughs> but he's well, super sweet. You, you know, the the advice that I have to give to you, Nate, about the situation is I, I take it from my favorite show, Frasier. I would hire... <laughs> I would hire a dog psychiatrist. Oh, absolutely. Dog. A dog, a Caesar Milan, a dog whisperer. Yes. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I'm feeling right now is a dog psychiatrist could be helpful in a situation like this. So my wife wants to get, so speaking of Caesar Milan, they have this thing called halo and it's like an invisible dog fence, but it works off a of GPS and you basically just plug in the coordinates and then your dog can only go certain areas around your yard and everything. And, um, I'm scared of that because I feel like it would, and it's endorsed by Caesar Milan. I feel like it would make him even more skittish when he got like to the edges of where he was supposed to go. So I'm, I'm really scared of that. I, I don't know what to do there. I, I don't know. Like, so the other thing that we do is we will just pick him up now and walk him to the sidewalk. That's like 40 feet from my house so that uh, he will walk on the sidewalk and go do what he needs to do. 
Like we're literally carrying this dog places now. It's so weird. These dogs are so spoiled. You, you, you guys are, you guys are spoiling these dogs rotten. <laughs> Ooh, Lord. Well, Ooh, Lord. they had rough upbringings. They were both, my dogs were hey, puppy mill rescues. Yeah. No, I mean, what, what are you going to do? I mean, if you're not going to spoil your dogs, who are you going to spoil? Well, absolutely. Can't spoil my kids. They make some rotten adults. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You got to start out with, you can't overpraise them, Chris. I know. Way to bring it full circle. That was excellent. Yeah. That, was, that was pretty good. <laughs> okay, Chris, you got anything to pitch? Any good stories to tell? Oh, man, no. I, I'm, I'm trying a total blank. Uh, you know, I guess... You know, uh, Tales of Uncle Chris, uh, you know, is, you know, the the nephews were... were How old are your nephews? Uh, 14 and 20. Oh, those are good ages, though. You, you buy the 14-year-old cigarettes and the nephew boo and the 20-year-old booze. There you You're go. There you <laughs> go. Exactly. I'm kidding. I know. I know. Yeah, it's, yes. Parody, <laughs> parody slash whatever. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You buy them vaping stuff. Yeah. That's what you buy. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know it, it's just tougher you know what's tough for kids i think i think that it's a, i'll do a public service announcement which is you know the, the kids are having a tough time with social things you know what i mean yeah. being social and in really just kind of you know post-covid world just being social you know so uh you know, PSA out there, you know, make your kids be social, you know, try to, try to, you know, as safe as possible, not trying to jeopardize people's health here, but, you know, make your kids be social. So I think it's, it's a, a it's weird a world show. out there. Yeah, sure. it is. It is. Absolutely. And I think it, that's what took a hit is just kids are just kind of having trouble navigating the, you know, especially in those years where you really learn to socialize. Like I know, you know, when I was that age, you know, that's when my friends meant the most to me. You know what I mean? Was, you know, when I became a teenager, they were, they saved my life, you know, they were, they were everything to me, you know, so uh, I can't imagine what kids are going through these days, but, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, get, get them to socialize a little. And, and, and talk to them. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Little, little, little friendly PSA from uncle Chris. That's, that's the uncle <laughs> advice go. I got. There you go. Um, not well, quite, it's not quite Tom's dad chats. You know, <laughs> well, who shout is? Out to Tom. I mean, exactly. That, that not all of us uh, can field a starting five on a basketball <laughs> team. So, um, <laughs> you know, not all of us can fill the infield. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Tom, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so let's uh, schedule. Coming up, Cavs, we've got, who do we got this weekend? We got the magic uh, Friday night. So. Oh, yeah. Ooh. A little Paolo Banchero Redux. That guy's going to be good. Man, he's tough. Yeah. Franz Wagner. Yeah. Dude, how, we, how lucky are the magic? Or, I mean, maybe not lucky is the right one. How smart are they for taking Paolo instead of Jabari Smith Jr.? Oh, that was big ball. Genius. Yeah. yeah. Ain't that the truth? Well, here's the weird thing about the magic. What the hell is going on with Jonathan Isaac? Like, that weirdo hasn't played in two years. Like, what's going on there? That's a great question. What the hell like, is going on? You want to talk about small forward that would work? There's a guy, but also total weirdo. 
So, yeah, fun weekend. We got Orlando Saturday or tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. Friday, yeah. Or Friday, yeah. And then uh, the Knicks on Sunday and then Tuesday, the Lakers. That's going to be that's gonna be a good weekend going into the Lakers on TNT. So, yeah. Ooh. Uh, Bron National will get up for sta- that. Yeah, yeah, national stage for the Cavs. You know who else get will get up for that one is Donovan Mitchell. He, you get that. I love it. Money. Love it. Love okay. it. Okay. And with that, we will bid you a hearty go Cavs and uh, Eli, have a good vacation. (laughs) Thank you. And go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. There's a fire.